Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark. This is E3, and we are continuing, um, actually coming to the conclusion uh, next week of uh, Summer on the Mount. All summer, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, where essentially Jesus is talking to his followers and uh, giving them the real high points of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of him. What does it mean to uh, actually tangibly live out this Christian life? And uh, some of it has been really, really difficult. It, it, it's countercultural. It's uh, things that go against our, our, just our predisposed nature. And uh, this is really, these kinds of teachings really come down to who is your Lord? Who is the leader of your life? Are, are you going to um, rely on, on yourself and your, your view on things and the culture's view on things? Or are you going to submit to the teachings of, of Jesus? And as we uh, kind of wrap up uh, the main portion of today, our, this uh, whole Sermon on the Mountain, as, as Jesus kind of encapsulates it all, he brings it all to a real point, really talking about the difference between godly wisdom and foolishness. Now, uh, this is going to be a difficult talk for a lot of us uh, today, hopefully all of us, uh, because there. Each and every one of us uh, need to really examine and take these teachings seriously and to figure out what it actually means for us, me, you, individually, and then us as a church to live these principles out. And thinking about what we're going to be talking about today, I thought it would be helpful for you guys to know where I'm coming from. I've been uh, teaching for a lot of years and have taught a lot of scripture and and I have kind of um, uh, come up with some ideas on what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to accomplish when I stand before you guys. And I came up with five uh, that I wanted to share with you today. Uh, the first one is that I come up here with the understanding and the hope that there are people from all walks of life here today, that I hope that there are people who have been following Christ uh, their whole life. I hope that there are people who are atheists and just kind of looking at, you know, is asking the question, is there a God? I, I hope, you know, that there is great diversity in thought and, and history and, and behaviors and, and, and uh, life experiences that we're all coming uh, from a different place with the hope that all of us are here to investigate the claims of Christ and to look at Scripture. And I think that part of my thinking about this is that, that if you're coming to a Christian uh, church, that it is, uh, it is important for us to to teach Christian ideals. Much in the same way, you know, I'm a Christian, but if I want uh, to a, a Muslim, a mosque, that I would hope to, to hear about Islam and the tenets and the thoughts of Islam. If I, you know, went somewhere else, I would expect and want to hear those things. So 
that's the first thing. I understand that there, there are people here and, and, and myself that we're all from different uh, places in our journey, and some of us are just investigating. Some of us have been following Christ for a long time. Number two, I always go where the Scripture leads me, for better or for worse. And uh, the reality is, is understanding that there's a lot of different worldviews that come to E3, which I absolutely love. That I also, uh, so I understand that, that some scripture uh, creates a bigger reaction or response than, than others. And whenever I come across those way, my human nature is like, oh man, I just don't want to bother. I'm just being very honest. You know, because it's like, oh man, I know I'm going to get all these emails and I know people are going to be mad and then, you know, on one side or the other. And, you know, and, you know, I understand that I'm an equal opportunity offender, right? And, and that, that scripture uh, uh, has a tendency to, to make people uh, uh, get, have a lot of anxiety. You know, my dad says, you know, uh, nobody mad, nobody glad, bad preaching, right? So, uh, I, I decided a long time ago to follow and present where the Scripture leads me. I start with the core Scripture that we'll start with today, and I follow that path. And I trust through prayer and the Holy Spirit that, that the Holy Spirit is going to present the Scripture that needs to be presented for, for somebody or all of us that day. Number three, um, I don't expect you to agree with the, the scripture presented or my best interpretation of, of that scripture. But I hope that, you, that it'll prompt you to open up your own Bible and to have more conversation and discover uh, on your own uh, 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 what it means. So, my goal here is not to convince you of anything, definitely not convince you of my way of thinking. My way of thinking has caused me a lot of grief. So I don't want that for you. I want all of us, you know, that, that say we want to follow Christ, that we want to get as close to the heart and mind of Jesus on different uh, things of importance in our life through those scriptures. Uh, number four, I will not make excuses for Scripture. I just won't. I didn't write it. I have to, as a follower of Christ, submit to it just like you. Just because I'm a pastor, I don't go, yay, yay, I really like that tithing thing. No, I'm selfish. I, there's lots of things that I could spend my money on, you know, that I would like to, but it's a submit thing, the love your neighbor thing. I don't like my neighbor. And I, I'm command, I mean, it is a submit kind uh, of deal. And, and, you know, and sometimes, and, and you may not like this, sometimes Jesus says some things that, that make me cringe. That just, I'm like, I wish he would have thought about me trying to present these words so it'd make it a little easier on Mark, you know? But, but and I just, a long time ago, I just like, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and if he's going somewhere that makes me uneasy, the problem is with me. And then the last one, my goal, again, is not to convince you of my way of thinking, but I truly hope, and this is my, like, 
my BHAG, my big, hairy, audacious goal. My hope is that whatever's discussed here on a Sunday is worthy of further conversation. That you take that and say, you know what? You know, this is what was presented and, and I understand that Mark did his best thinking, but, but let's, let's engage and see if we can come up, you know, get even closer to the heart and mind of God on this issue. So that's really, you know, those are the five things that when I, when I stand up here that, that I'm really trying to accomplish. I, and, and again, we've talked about the value of today is what lives beyond it. And hopefully that you take some of these ideas and you get with some of your closest friends and you discuss them. And you know what, in the group said, you know what, I think Mark was, you know, way off on that. That's great. Have a conversation about that. And, you know, and, you know, people let me know all the time. I, I you know, it's funny. I was, I, the other day, um, uh, my garage uh, shelving unit collapsed. No, God collapsed it, and you'll find out why. Well, I like, I've got like this Job complex thing going on right now, so I slammed my thumb in the door the other day, or yesterday, and all sorts of things, but uh, so the whole thing collapses, right? And there's just garbage all over, all over the garage, and, and, and the funny thing was there was a, there was a CD of, of me teaching probably like 15 years ago, uh, maybe even longer, uh, in California. And, and I like looked at that CD and it just sat on the garage. I didn't want to touch it. Like it, it was like a picture of, like there's a picture of me on the CD with hair. So, okay, that's how long ago it was. And like my kids are like, why is there a B2X CD, that was the church, B2X CD on the, on the ground. And it's like, I don't want to touch it. Uh, so I popped it in. I popped it in uh, to uh, my car just to listen to a little bit of it. I got, like, got up the courage. And I was like, li- I, li- I didn't listen to the whole thing. I listened to, a, you know, just parts of it and everything. And, and I was like, wow, you know, it's interesting, like, how I presented things, you know, almost two decades ago uh, has evolved. And, 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 it's, and it's different than, than how I would necessarily say it today. And, and having said all of that, that, that hopefully all of us are in this, this journey of growth, that we can look, you know, back 10 years and say, you know what, I knew this much of God 10 years ago, and now I know this much of God, you know, that I, how I look at this differently, how I interact with the world has grown and it has changed. And I think the only way to do that is to, uh, is to continually open up Scripture and go where it leads and have conversations, tough conversations, when we are in con- you know, when our attitudes and our culture are in conflict with what God's Word says. So, if you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus talks about, is, is in this scripture, is talking about wisdom and being foolish. So verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Now, do me a favor. Let's just read that first half of the sentence together because it's real clear. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Okay, flat out, Jesus is being 
very, very, very clear here. Listen and... Okay, so there's the idea of, of, of understanding comprehension and then actually doing something with it. And that's, that's wisdom, right? That, that knowledge in itself is not wisdom. Like how many people uh, know that you should save money for a rainy day? All of us. Only like four of you raised your hand, but I'm just, you know, guessing that all of us know that it's a good idea to save. But we don't always, right? Because, you know, we see shiny things and we spend that money and, and, and do like that. But when we, we take that knowledge, you know what? I know that disaster is going to happen at some point. I know that, you know, my garage is going to collapse or a tree is going to fall on my home or my daughter is going to crash the car or, or something like that. It happens. And to be able to go and, and go into savings instead of debt, that that's applied knowledge, which is wisdom. So this is what Jesus is saying. Is, hey, biblical wisdom is listening to my teaching and actually putting it into practice in your life. And when you do that, that is like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Through the rain comes the torrents and the, and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against the house. It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. So he paints this image of, you know, well-built home. That's you know, that, that's applied knowledge is wisdom. Then he goes to the other side, I think in verse 25, 26, and, and he talks about foolish. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So he has these two word pictures of, of the difference between what a wise person does that hears and obeys and follows his instruction versus a foolish person who doesn't do anything with it and builds their life on something that is not solid. And this really, I, I think when you go back and the, like the whole idea of wisdom and foolishness, it's something that all of us in different stages of our life that, that we have uh, dealt with. That, you know, the, when people get older, they get wiser. Why do they get wiser? Because they realize that, that applying knowledge makes more sense than just kind of doing whatever you feel like at, at that particular time because that d ends up in disaster, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the times. And I think when we're looking at different biblical teachings that it's always going through our minds is, should I apply this teaching to my life or shouldn't I? Does this make sense for me or doesn't it? Does this bring me closer to heart and mind of God to a rich and abundant life? Or doesn't it? And this comes down, and a lot of times it just forms itself in a, in a particular question that I think was really encapsulated well uh, on the show uh, Blue Bloods. Anybody ever watch Blue Bloods? Yeah. Okay. I'm in season five. Uh, I don't even know what channel it's on or anything. We're, we stream it. Shannon and I watch it together. Uh, but it's in season five. And Frank Reagan, who is the PC of the NYPD, that, that uh, he plays a devout Catholic 
in the show, okay? So he's having a conversation about a, a cultural issue and, 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 and the church's view on it. He had said some stuff that upset the Catholic bishop or something like that. And Frank Reagan says this, I believe the church is backwards on this. And it really doesn't matter what this is for this discussion. It's the idea of how do you come up with that? How do you come up with, with your decision? Is the church and in, in, in the Catholic tradition that that would be, you know, proper interpretation of scripture and, and things like that? How, how do you determine if something is backwards or not, or not culturally acceptable? And then on the, on the other side of that, you know, uh, why does it, why does it matter? Or when you think about scripture, isn't it always countercultural in a lot of ways that there's been many times in the ebb and flow of, of culture on both sides that, that the teachings of Jesus have gotten people into trouble, that they go against the cultural grain. After all, the church, our church, the church, that, that it is about the teachings of Jesus and of Scripture. That's what the church is about. And you know what? Sometimes the church is in direct opposition or conflict with culture. And it's never easy. But if you look at the history of the history of humanity, there's been many times that, that culture has lost its way or has been far from, from any biblical teaching, and Christians have been persecuted because, because of it. In fact, there's been thousands and thousands of martyrs. And that's one of the realities that oftentimes the church is backwards or Christians are backwards on cultural issues. So when we kind of look at this and go, okay, so what is biblical wisdom in teaching and applied knowledge versus being a fool? So this is where I started going and following the scripture. And the first place that, that I went to was James uh, and, and James's discussion on wisdom. It was really interesting. James chapter 3 and verse 13, he essentially echoes the words of Jesus um, in his wisdom. He says, but, <clears throat> excuse me, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. So understanding God's way, God's knowledge of God and prove it. And he says, look, this is how you prove it. Live an honorable life. Do good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. And wisdom and humility always accompany one another because wise people have learned the hard way. It's true. That if you think about it, foolish people are usually arrogant. They know better. I was arrogant, you know, especially as, as a young man. I knew everything. My parents were idiots. <laughs> and I'm not sure if, you know, the... The multiple bike crashes have, you know, made me stupider <laughs> as, as we've gone along or, you know, but, but, you know, just learning that, you know what, I don't have all the answers. I don't see everything that I 
have to rely on other people and other voices and, and trust and things like that. And I believe that with, with just uh, maybe with humility comes wisdom or, or wisdom comes humility, but they come hand in hand. And then he says in verse 14, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For whatever, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So basically, he's flipping in contrast of, of wisdom and, and just saying, look, you know what? Selfish ambition, trying to just grab all of you, all that you can, and and you can within your pride that you that you become boastful and proud, and by that way you're pushing others away and trying to 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 whitewash over the blemishes of your life. And then in verse 17, he continues on. He says, "But the wisdom from above, from God, is this: number one." First of all, pure. Pure. Another word for that would be holy or set aside for God's purposes. So wisdom is, is your actions, your applied knowledge being set aside for God's purposes. Number two, also peace-loving. If It is not wise to try to create conflict for conflict's sake. Number three, be gentle at all times. And I think a lot of times that we, we forget that, that, that we forget that gentleness is wisdom because, you know, what we reap, we sow. Number four, willing to yield to others. Again, having this, this view of other people and saying, you know what, we may not see eye to eye, but I'm willing to yield to you in this in order that we can go forward. Also, it is full of mercy. This is a reoccurring theme throughout Scripture, understanding that we are broken, messy people, and, he, and that, that we don't have it all together, and we are uh, completely reliant on grace and mercy, and we are meant to be agents of grace and mercy. And then wisdom is also shown by the fruit of our good deeds. And then number seven Wisdom shows no favoritism, and then finally is always sincere. And then he closes off this whole thought with verse 18, where he says, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? We've talked about this a lot. Righteousness is having a right relationship with God, people, and creation. That is the biblical definition of righteousness. If you if you holistically love God and you have a right relationship with Him, if you have a right relationship with the other people that you're doing life with, and you are interacting and being a wise steward of, of God's creation, that, that you are living in a righteous way. And what James is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is saying, look, when you live a wise life, when you yield your, your foolishness and say, you know what, I am going to rely on God's biblical knowledge and to follow that and do all of these things, 
What will be a result of that is righteousness, harmony, of, of unity. From there, uh, Paul talks about in, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 uh, about foolishness and, and what that looks like. In verse 18, Paul begins to write, says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful people, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through, uh, though God, everything God made, through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. And again, this kind of goes to the argument of, of, you know, missions and just uh, uh, evangelism and, and inviting people to God's banquet, and, you know, and people are, all, you know, always say like, well, what about the pygmies, you know? And it's like, well, if you care so much about the pygmy, pygmies, why don't you go? You know, it's like, no, 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 but what if they don't hear? And it's like, well, you know what? God has made room for that, that, that God has made himself evident through his creation. And that, that everyone, even if they don't hear the word uh, of Jesus, have the opportunity to know him through his creation. This is what Paul is talking about. In verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Listen to this. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Claiming to be wise, but instead they became utter fools. And this is, you see this happening when, when people get dis, dislodged from Scripture and they start having these conversations out, outside of Scripture and saying, well, is this you know, is this Christian, is this Christian, and, and then and even more so get removed from the person of Christ and what he taught. And, it, and when the religion of Christianity becomes something that, that has nothing that resembles following Jesus and hearing his teachings and following him, you end up eventually with some very foolish thinking. In verse 23, and instead of worshiping the glorious and ever-living God, they worshiped idols to make look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. You know, this is one of the most scary things that I think you can ha that can happen for uh a person in God, but even in our, in our earthly relationships, this idea that God abandons you. And it sounds like a horrible thing, and it is, but I want to give it some context, at least how I understand it. There was a time in my life where I was so rebellious that my parents abandoned me to my foolishness. They loved me. They cared for me. They prayed for me. They wanted me to come to my senses, but I had come to such a place where they had to abandon me 
to my foolishness. I ran away from home. I got into all sorts of, of things, and, and they just, there was nothing else that they can do, they could do at that, at that point. And I, I mean, I, I look back at just what I put them through, and it, and it kills me. But they abandoned me to my foolishness because that was the only thing that they had. One of the most beautiful stories in all of the New Testament told by Jesus is about this very thing, the prodigal son, where, where the prodigal son comes to his father and says, you know, father, you have no more value to me. I just want your inheritance. I just want your money and I'm just going to want, I just want to go. So the father gave him his inheritance and then he went and he spent his, his inheritance on prostitution on drugs, you know, the drugs of the day, uh, that, that he threw major parties and all this, and, and the father abandoned him to his foolishness. And, but what the father actually also did was every single day would go and look down the road waiting for his son to come back. And what happened when his son, he finally saw his son? He ran to him. He abandoned him because there was nothing else that could be done. Abandoned him to his foolishness. But the Bible says that when the prodigal son came to his senses, he came back to the father. And the father, in an uh, undignified manner, <laughs> lifted his robes and ran and embraced the son and threw him a party. So this, this verse 24, you know, the, the abandonment is not permanent. In Scripture and in God's economy, that reconciliation is always the goal, not abandonment. Abandonment is letting somebody go and figure it out themselves in a loving way. And I look back and really, that was all my parents could have done was to abandon me to my own foolishness until I hit rock bottom and came back. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things of God created instead of, uh, of the creator himself, who is worthy and eternal of praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desire. Now, the next part of uh, Scripture is going to be hard for some of you, and I understand that, that there are people that, that I care for deeply that have different ideas about, about this Scripture. But again, I go where Scripture takes me. That is what I've been called to do. Next verse, even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now, I don't need to go into that. Again, there's people who I, uh, that I love and am, am community with who think about this in different ways. Believe me, I have had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations about this. Uh, and the reality is, 
again, I would like you guys to open up your scripture and have continued conversation in your small groups about this. To, to really ask the question, what is God's ideal? What is God's plan for sexuality? And what does that look like? And again, we're talking about wisdom and foolishness and not, not worldly wisdom, but seeking out what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? What does it mean to open up the scripture and say, you know what, what is God trying to tell me and what are the tenets of the Christian faith? In verse 26, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that never should be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malice behavior, and gossip. They were also backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. Now, I want it to be really clear. Who Paul is talking about is not them. He's talking about us. Okay? That, that we need to understand when we start to follow different things and di that are outside of Scripture, that, that God stands back and abandons, can abandon us after he gets to a point and say, I'm going to abandon you to your foolishness until you figure it out. But as a result of that, and this, you know, this is not just one type of, of thing. This can, you know, be all sorts of things, greed, lying, uh, substance abuse, whatever, getting to a point where you are elevating your own decisions above God's plan for your life to live a productive and healthy life that, that impacts his creation for the good. That, that these kind of things come out of it. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They shouldn't do that. Verse 31, they refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless with no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Now, I think it's so important, it's so easy for us to take a step back and say, well, that's not me. But just, again, this is Mark's understanding of this. It is you. It is me. That we all at times have been foolish that we have traded God's wisdom for our own kind of selfish ambition. Paul goes on to say that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, that we are all in need of a Savior. We are all in need of a Lord in our lives. And I think it's very, very easy for us to go, yeah, but that person over there. And guess what that person over there is saying? Yeah, but that person over there. You know, I'm, I read a lot, and especially on Facebook, it's really interesting to me, like the different things. And, and 
Somebody posted something the other day that uh, said nine sins that Christians are okay with. It was uh, basically, you know, it was like, oh yeah, you don't like what I'm doing. Well, you're okay with these nine things. And I read the nine and we are. But is that productive? No. No. If we are truly the body of Christ, you know, is it productive for, you know, for your, you know, I don't know, your hamstring? Now let's say your kidney to attack, you know, something else. There's doctors in here just like, shut up. You know, it's like (laughs) things like, like every time I talk about medical things, doctors are like, Mark, and like farmers, like I come in or or ranchers, I mean, they're like, you guys have like said I can't talk about so many topics, I just stand up here and look at you. So I think you secretly like me to just babble about things I don't know about. Uh, but that, wouldn't it be a better picture, and I think a more biblical picture, where we as the church come together and we don't do yeah, but, but we come along and ask this question. How can we take one step closer to Jesus? How how can I just take that one more step in following him? And I think if we personally and in in our smaller groups that we are relentlessly pursuing Jesus, you know what the cool thing is? That if you look left and you look right, you can see that the other people who are joining you in that direction. And instead of saying, yeah, but you're a little bit to the right of me, or oh yeah, you're a little bit to the left of me, saying, how can we encourage each other to take one more step closer to Jesus? To hearing and following his teaching. To fulfilling our calling to be the tangible hand of Christ in this hurt and broken world to being the gospel, to being the good news, to helping those who, do, who don't feel loved feel loved, those who are hopeless, giving them hope, those who are friendless, giving them community, those who are hungry, something to eat. We don't need to argue, I think, about this or that sin. I think we need to encourage each other to continually, relentlessly pursuing Jesus. You guys pray with me.